To concede that death is ultimate would be to ascribe greater power to death than to God. Death is neither the beginning nor the end. Death is neither indestructible nor eternal. God is, and God is the God of the living. To believe in the God Jesus reveals is to embrace resurrection hope. That's the Reverend Dr. Noel Schoonmaker, and today he offers you a powerful message of faith called God of the Living. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Dr. Noel Schoonmaker, who has served as senior pastor of Second Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia since 2019. Noel was ordained at Churchland Baptist Church in Lexington, North Carolina, where he served as senior minister. He also served churches in North Carolina and Tennessee. Noel is a graduate of Furman University and earned his Master of Divinity from Wake Forest University Divinity School and his Master of Arts and Ph.D. from Vanderbilt University. He has taught courses for Vanderbilt Divinity School, Carson Newman University, and Central Baptist Theological Seminary. Noel, welcome to Day One. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. You last preached for us four years ago when you were pastor of First Baptist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, but in 2019 you moved to Richmond, Virginia to take the pulpit at Second Baptist Church. What was it about this church that moved you to accept their call? So many wonderful things that I learned from the search committee that I was having conversations with, the long and illustrious history of the church being uh, now over 200 years old, Mm. the bright future laid out ahead of the church, the incredibly kind and loving culture of the congregation. And it was a very um, impressive group of people that I spoke with on the search committee who represented the church extremely well. And when I learned about uh, the ministries and missions and the emphases that they have on being a multi-generational uh, multi-ethnic, uh, multi-linguistic worshiping community, I felt drawn by the Spirit. Hmm. So your church offers several worship services, some in different languages. Tell us about what you offer there and why. Sure. So the church has had an ESL ministry for many years, and In relation to that, the church began hosting worshiping groups that spoke languages other than English Mm -hmm. um, some years ago. I believe it was in the 1990s. And later, I think it was 2010, maybe a little after that, they went through a visioning process and embraced diversity as one of their guiding values. And so the church has welcomed different Uh, communities to come in and worship. And actually, it's wonderful because we're all a part of the same church. It's all one congregation, but on Saturday nights, we have an Arabic-speaking language service. On Sunday mornings, we have 
uh, English-speaking services at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. We have a Portuguese service at 11 o'clock, and we have a Spanish service at 11 o'clock. So each weekend, we have five worship services in four different languages, all unified by our faith in Christ and all seeking to serve others in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, you preach at all of those services, right? <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I typically <laughs> preach at, at both of our English services, sometimes just one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have spoken at our Arabic service uh, once, and I've spoken at our Portuguese service once. Of course, there was a very able translator to help <laughs> me as I went. It wasn't long before the COVID pandemic hit when you got there. So how did you and Second Baptist respond and adapt to it? Well, it was incredibly difficult for us, as for most churches. I spoke with our ministerial staff leadership and then assembled um, a team. We called it our COVID-19 response team, and we tried to take into consideration um, what was happening in terms of uh, the medical science, what was happening in terms of Uh, the broader cultural changes, what was happening in terms of especially how we could keep our people safe and healthy and also keep moving forward as a worshiping community. And so like many churches, we began having conversations about uh, closing our in-person services for a period of time and, and moving to online worship only for a while. And then, you know, a few months after that, we opened up for in-person worship again and kept the online worship going with the hybrid model that we still have. Mm -hmm. And of course, there were many challenging decisions to make about when and how to reopen, what safety protocols to have in place, um, how we can keep people safe, but also help people be able to experience the togetherness that is a key mark of the Christian faith and critical to the life of the church. And so it was a tremendous challenge for us as for other churches. But thankfully, our church showed a tremendous amount of resiliency as well as an admirable spirit of patience, Hmm. understanding, support, and perseverance. And so I am very thankful to God uh, to be able to say that we have come through in what I would call a healthy and robust way as a congregation. And uh, it's really encouraging to see uh, the trajectory uh, that we have moving forward. And I'm very thankful for the advances that have been made in the scientific community that helped to keep us safe and for the fact that churches, including ours, have continued to worship God and follow Christ and serve in the power of the Holy Spirit, even through this monumental challenge. Mm. Noel, preaching is very important to you, and your sermons have been featured in a number of websites and publications. What is your goal in preaching God's Word? Wow, Peter. My goal is to articulate, through the help and power of the Holy Spirit, as best I can, uh, what I'm discerning to be God's Word for Second Baptist Church of Richmond on any given Sunday. I hope to interpret Scripture in a way that brings it to life and shows its continual relevance for our daily existence. I seek to um, make Scripture more interesting rather than less interesting, Mm. make worship more exciting uh, rather than having the sermon be the boring part of the worship service. Uh, I seek to try to really uh, bring out the good news that we have 
in Christ and, th- and through Scripture. Uh, I think it's so important. We have many, many, many opportunities to hear bad news or troubling news, but we have an, a special opportunity when we come to worship to hear good news, the good news of Christ from a Holy Scripture. So I hope that uh, preaching will be both encouraging as well as challenging, mm-hmm. both comforting as well as sometimes discomforting to help us all grow in our walk with Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit to grow as a congregation. And I do hope in the end that God would use my preaching and the preaching of all preachers to sanctify the church and also to make us a light of the world that shines with the the bright light of the love of Christ. Amen. Well, today your sermon draws from the gospel reading from Luke chapter 20. Would you read it for us? Sure. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die any more because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. So, Noel, it seems like the Pharisees and Sadducees are tag-teaming to catch Jesus in a gotcha moment. So what stood out for you in this passage as you were preparing your sermon? Well, this is the only appearance of the Sadducees in Luke's Hmm. gospel, And one of the things they were most known for is not believing in the resurrection of the dead. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, but the Sadducees did not. And so here they are challenging Christ in terms of this hypothetical they put to him, trying to discredit the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And one thing that stood out to me in terms of the broader context of Luke's gospel is that Christ has already predicted that he will suffer and die and will rise on the third day from the dead. Mm -hmm. And so this challenge comes, at least with the reader of Luke, understanding that Christ has predicted his own death and resurrection. And so the Sadducees are challenging the doctrine of resurrection generally. But when I look at Luke's gospel, it seems that they are challenging the possibility of Christ's resurrection uh, as well. And so when Christ responds, I think that it's really incredibly powerful and incredibly encouraging that Jesus himself affirms the doctrine of the resurrection 
of the dead, and that he interprets Exodus chapter 3 with what we might call a hermeneutic of resurrection. He finds the promise of resurrection in God's words to Moses at the burning bush when God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Christ interprets that in such a way that it brings out the promise that those uh, three uh, great uh, leaders of God's people from the past are still alive in some way. Mm -hmm. And so it gives us a, a great promise that those who follow Christ shall also find life on the other side of death. You've titled your message, God of the Living. Noel, thank you for sharing it with us. Thanks so much for having me. L.D. Johnson was a 20th century pastor and longtime chaplain of Furman University. In 1962, he lost his 23-year-old daughter, Carol, in a car wreck. Years later, he traveled to England to write a book reflecting on her vibrant life and her tragic death. An English woman he met at a dinner party asked, "'What are you doing here all the way from the States?' It's a bit hard to explain, he replied, but the general idea is to write something about the meaning of death. Oh, said the woman, I wouldn't have supposed there is any. The question of death's meaning is well worth our contemplation, because death awaits us all. We can search for the fountain of youth and invest in cryogenic freezing and take anti-aging supplements and eat right and exercise but there's no avoiding death. The day we are born, we board a train headed for the cemetery, and sometime, some way, somehow, we all arrive. Is there any meaning in death? Will our existence be altogether extinguished? Or is there a possibility of life after death? Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychoanalysis, famously regarded the idea of everlasting life as a juvenile attempt at wish fulfillment. But he was hardly the first to reject the notion of life after death. Long before Freud, there was an elite class of Jewish aristocrats called the Sadducees who focused on the law of Moses. Although religious, the Sadducees did not believe in angels or spirits, nor did they believe in the resurrection of the dead. A group of Sadducees confronted Jesus the week before he died and challenged him with a reference to Deuteronomy 25. The passage stipulates that if a married man dies without any children, his brother is to marry his widow and have a child with her. Then the baby is to be named after the deceased man so that his name will live on in Israel. The Sadducees came up with a hypothetical based on this law in order to discredit the doctrine of resurrection. Jesus, they said, say there was a woman whose husband died childless. So she married his brother and he died childless. Then she married his other brother and he died childless too. 
This happened seven times with seven brothers. She never had any kids, and then she died. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? I can see the Sadducees grinning and fist-bumping each other as if they had presented an airtight case against resurrection. But their contention rested on the premise that resurrection life will be fundamentally similar to life as we know it, that people will marry and have children and so on. To the contrary, Jesus replied that in the resurrection from the dead, people neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels. According to Jesus, there is resurrection life on the other side of death, and it will be qualitatively different from life as we know it. There will be no marriage because we will be transformed into everlasting beings, and therefore we will need no institution of marriage to propagate further life and perpetuate the family name. Jesus further explains that we will be children of God and children of the resurrection. To be the child of an earthly parent is to be mortal. It is to inherit the inevitability of death. To be a child of God is to be immortal. It is to inherit the promise of resurrection life. To make his case, Jesus cites a passage from the law of Moses, the story about the bush in Exodus 3. In this passage, God reveals God's self to Moses through a burning bush and says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When God said this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had all been dead for about 500 years. Yet God did not say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The implication is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. At my former congregation in Tennessee, there was a man named Tom Brown. Tom was an exemplary Christian, a consummate churchman, and a wonderful Sunday school teacher. When he was in his 90s, he began to slow down, and by the spring of 2016, he would often say with a twinkle in his eye, I'm not long for this world. Sensing that his death was imminent, Tom told me that Christ's encounter with the Sadducees gave him great hope. When Tom died, his family loaned me his Bible to use as I prepared his eulogy. I turned to the passage about the Sadducees and noticed that Tom had written in the margin of his Bible, I am, not was, God of the living. Tom further wrote, It seems for believers that when our body ceases to function, our spirit continues on in heaven. Tom's interpretation is illuminating. Although death is real, it does not separate us from God or suspend our existence. The Apostle Paul wrote that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Jesus told the penitent thief on the cross, Today you shall be with me in paradise. The New Testament teaches us to believe in the resurrection of the dead at the end of time, 
and also to believe that we will find life after death in the meantime. Christians defy death, not by denying its reality, but by denying its ultimacy. Jesus did not smirk at death or pretend it's painless. He did not gloss death, but neither did he absolutize it. He did not deny death's pain, but neither did he concede death's permanence. Remember in John's Gospel, when Lazarus died, Jesus saw Mary weeping, and he wept with her. They grieved together because their beloved had died. But then Jesus went to the graveyard and said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus did. Jesus reveals a God who overpowers all the muscle of the grave. Jesus reveals a God whose commitment to life overrules the would-be finality of death. To concede that death is ultimate would be to ascribe greater power to death than to God. Death is neither the beginning nor the end. Death is neither indestructible nor eternal. God is and God is the God of the living. To believe in the God Jesus reveals is to embrace resurrection hope. Now, someone might ask, but doesn't this amount to a pie-in-the-sky attitude that diminishes ethical engagement in this world? Doesn't it play right into the hands of Karl Marx's critique that Religion is the opiate of the masses, which makes suffering sufferable without doing anything about it? No, no, no. To the contrary, belief in the resurrection emboldens us to practice faithful social ethics that alleviate human suffering here and now. Consider Oscar Romero, who was Archbishop of San Salvador in the 1980s. His ministry was characterized by attentive care for marginalized persons until he was martyred. Amid increasing conflict between left-wing and right-wing forces, Romero advocated for the poor, spoke out against assassinations, and stood for righteousness and truth, despite the constant threat of death squads. What gave him such unflinching courage? He once wrote, Let us not be afraid. Let us keep walking on this road that will one day lead us to death so that we will also be saints in heaven, participating in the glory of the risen Christ. Romero's intrepid ethics were connected to his belief in resurrection, showing that resurrection faith can empower ethical conduct in this present world. Resurrection, after all, is the conviction on which Christianity is built. Jesus not only proclaimed resurrection, he also personified it. He not only declared resurrection, he also demonstrated it. He not only asserted resurrection, he also authenticated it. For after he died on the cross... He arose from the grave on the third day, promising all who follow him that we shall likewise find life on the other side of death. Which brings me back to L.D. Johnson. 
He eventually completed that book he set out to write, and he entitled it, The Morning After Death. Within its pages, Johnson recounted the grief he experienced after losing a beloved family member. Yet he ultimately expressed faith in the resurrected Christ and unwavering trust in the God of the living. We shall always miss her here, he wrote. Separation was and is indescribably painful to those of us who love her. But I believe that she is as much alive now as at that tragic instant of impact on the icy highway. Such is the conviction of those who trust Christ. Such is the conviction of those who worship the God of the living. Let us pray. We acknowledge our frailty before the power of death, O God. Yet we believe your power is greater still. Help us by your Holy Spirit to follow Christ with integrity courage, and hope until the day we are raised with him to the everlasting life in glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to the Rev. Dr. Noel Schoonmaker, Senior Pastor of Second Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. For a free transcript of his message today, God of the Living, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. And keep in mind that Day One depends on the generous donations of our faithful listeners. Please send your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or donate online at dayone.org. And thank you. I'm Peter Wallace. Next week on Day One, we're delighted to have with us the Reverend Bill Carter, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, and leader of the Presby Bop Jazz Quartet. I hope you'll join us for Bill's inspiring sermon next week on Day One. Day One preacher Noel Schoonmaker offers some final reflections on his sermon today, God of the Living. And Noel, nobody really likes to think about death, but you say the question of death's meaning is well worth contemplating because death awaits us all. The Sadducees here in Luke 20 use death as a scenario to entrap Jesus because they didn't believe 
in the resurrection of the dead, or angels or spirits for that matter, but Jesus clearly does, and he upends their case by explaining that resurrection life will be qualitatively different from life as we know it here on earth, he told us. The Bible has much to say about the afterlife, and yet we really don't have a clue what it will be like exactly. Can we know more about what heaven will be like, or should we? Uh, I think we are dealing with what we might call a mystery, uh, at least one of the great mysteries of the faith. Uh, so my own reading of the New Testament leads me to to think that there are a couple of things that are pretty clear. One uh, is that when we die, we are with Christ. Mm. So as a Christian person, I'm encouraged that upon the moment of my death, I will be with Christ, as Paul teaches in Philippians chapter 1. Another thing that we can count on is that death cannot separate us from God's love. And so the love of God continues to be ours despite the stark reality of death. And that promise, I think, we find in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. So I do believe that upon the moment of death, Believers are encouraged that we will be with Christ. On the other hand, the New Testament also teaches about what's called um, the resurrection of the dead, uh, the final resurrection Mm -hmm. of the dead. And so it seems at that time, uh, bodies will be raised and we will enjoy life in God's new creation. And as to what the new creation will involve and entail, my view is that Revelation chapter 21 gives us some encouraging ideas. For one thing, it describes a new creation as involving a holy city. Mm -hmm. So there will be fellowship. There will be um, other souls and saints to enjoy life with. Also, it tells us there will be rivers and trees. And so Mm. maybe the new creation will be an even more beautiful, pristine version of the beautiful creation we we currently inhabit, Mm -hmm. except it will be uh, perfected and consummated in God's new creation. So I think we can expect great joy, uh, fellowship, and the abiding presence of our loving God. Belief in the resurrection isn't pie-in-the-sky thinking, you said. It rather emboldens us to practice faithful social ethics that alleviate human suffering here and now. You pointed to the witness of Oscar Romero. His ethics were connected to his belief in resurrection, and he paid for those ethics with his life. Would you say more about how that connection should operate in our own lives as Jesus's followers? Yes, indeed. Our conviction that resurrection is real uh, should not lead to an escapist mentality. Mm. By that, I mean uh, sometimes uh, Christians perhaps can get carried away with a desire to be elsewhere with God rather than serving and following Christ and loving our neighbors and lifting people up here and now on this earth. And so what I was hoping to emphasize And and one example, that of Oscar Romero, is that actually a strong conviction that we will enjoy everlasting life in the resurrection can give us courage and it can give us a a resolute determination 
to continue following Christ and serving people who are in need and exhibiting righteousness and justice and peace in this world, even when it's difficult, even when it draws opposition, even when it's life-threatening, because we know that we have the promise of everlasting life with Christ. Noel, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? Well, I hope that our listeners will carry uh, what we've just spoken about, this notion that our, our trust in the resurrection and Christ's power of resurrection to lift us up to everlasting life will propel us to an even more engaged life of discipleship here and now. Mm. And I also hope that it will give us abiding encouragement that even when our time comes and we face the stark reality of death personally, that nothing can separate us from the love of our God, for we do not worship the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Noel Schoonmaker, thank you for being with us. My pleasure, Peter. Thank you. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. Forever.